busy on Extra Loud Mornings. Extra Loud Mornings. So we like to help you with your hustle, making money, making you successful, whatever that might be. Uh, and we, I mean, we don't know all the stuff. So we try to get our friends or friends of friends or whoever we actually can to give you the knowledge, equip you with the tools that you need to make sure that your side hustle or your main hustle is successful. We all flourish, right? especially if we're helping each other. So there's lots of entrepreneurs that have amazing products and maybe you're selling it online, maybe you're selling it at a market, but you want to get it into a big retailer. You want to get it into people's hands. You want to get it onto shelves, but it's hard. It's really hard. So joining us today, we've got Anton Russell, who is um, the strategic head of SME support at Fatola and the director of ARC Consulting. He's uh, involved in mentorship, coaching, business development, consulting, all of it. Uh, Anton is, I think, the person to speak to about these things. Anton, thanks so much for joining us on 5FM. Thanks, Nicole. I'm really uh, happy to be here this morning and morning to all your listeners. Anton, have you yourself put any products into shelves or into stores onto shelves? Yes, I have actually. Um, I was the founder of a business called Streetwires way back in 2000, which is my age away a little bit. And um, we actually supplied Pick and Pay and Woolworths and a number of international retailers with our product, which was um, sort of handmade art products, craft, Christmas decoration, mm. beadwork, and so on. And uh, we, we went down quite a long journey with both Woolworths and Pick and Pay, actually. So, I mean, okay, that's good to know. So you are somebody who's done it before. The the failures, the successes, you've you've seen it, you've done it. So you're probably the, the perfect person to help us with this because it's not a straight line to getting your stuff on shelves and there's probably lots of detours along the way, but it is possible. Um, what would you say are indicators that your business and your products are ready for big establishments, big retailers? I think there's a couple. I mean, I think the first one would be, you know, ask yourself, do you have a tribe of loyal supporters for your brand and for your product you know are you finding that people are engaging with you online um does demand often exceed supply on a mm. consistent basis for the product you know clearly if people want the product um that's a good indicator that you're ready to take a step up to the next level um have you got good sales volumes in terms of your sort of b2c or your direct to customer sales whether it's markets whether it's uh, you know online channels um, have you thought about things like your packaging? Um, do you understand how barcodes work? If you're in the food space, things like what we call HAZIP, which is the sort of minimum safety and, and food standard requirements need to be in place. And then finally, other things like, uh, you know, you've got a good social media presence, good online marketing, uh, website, Instagram, etc. And you know who your competitors are. You know you know who else is playing in the space and potentially where your product can fit and can it find a niche. Those would be some of the sort of initial things that I would consider if I'm looking at taking a step up into a larger retail context. Hmm. And if I was a big retailer looking for products, wanting to diversify, like what, what are they looking for in, in um, products to add to their... I suppose catalog or to their to their range that they supply. You know, I think I think for retailers, it's often not. I wouldn't say less about the product, but what's just as important about the product is is the supplier and the sort of supplier makeup that they're considering. You know, they're going to look at things like uh, 
You know, is your business fully operational, registered? Does it have a good trading history? Uh, okay. um, you know, they want to they want to deal with suppliers that understand their trading terms in terms of their models of pricing, rebates, and all those kind of things. Their, their safety standards, how they list products. So, you know, they will sometimes go out looking specifically for product. And I know that, for example, MassMart, that, that's their strategy when they're onboarding new suppliers is that they look at the gaps in their supply chain currently. <clears throat> so they look at products that they're struggling to get, whether it's from the East or even domestically. And then they specifically go out looking for those exact products so that they can basically ensure that they always have product on their shelves. Mm. But usually it's more about your sort of level of readiness and your level of maturity as a business to manage what are quite onerous and challenging um, systems and expectations from the large retailers. It's interesting. So it's good to know that they actually, it's not just a, um, I want to say one-sided where the people who want to be on the shelves, <clears throat> excuse me, are approaching the, the big retail stores, but they actually also probably have teams that are like, okay, we need to add a little bit of diversity here. We've got a gap over here. This, this is what our, our competitors are doing and actively seeking out and hopefully looking for lots of local products as well. Is that something that retailers are, are doing or is it, you know, cheap and easy, it's coming from overseas, coming in a big container, and uh, we're going to rely on that as opposed to smaller local distributors and people who are trying to get into markets where it might be a little bit more cumbersome. It's a little bit more work. Yeah, good question. I mean, I think I think one of the positive, one of the very few positive sort of offshoots of this whole COVID pandemic that we found ourselves in this year has been that a lot of local retailers and just local businesses in general, I talk about sort of at a corporate level, have struggled to get product from their traditional supply chains right. from the east, you yeah. know, and so on due to due to various lockdown <coughs> rules and regulations and delays and so on, and have almost been forced to actually turn their lens to the local supply market. And uh, I know of several businesses that I work with um, who have benefited from this, who've been knocking on doors for two or three years and who've been unable to sort of get their foot in the door and suddenly are getting called by the retailers or by the corporate saying, um, by the way, uh, can you help us out here? We need supply. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's been a positive. Look, I think local retailers have always wanted to work with local suppliers. Um, you know, they also have things like uh, export substitution that they have to consider, which is, you know, if, they, if they're importing X amount of product, they need to have a certain percentage of local suppliers as well. Oh. So, you know, first prize for a retailer is a good, reliable local supplier. But I think that the challenge has been large. The big boys don't understand the small boys and um, the small guys. You know, it's they're, they're very far apart. I recall working on a project a while ago uh, with uh, a, a large retailer who, are, who shall remain nameless, mm-hmm. who were, were looking at um, buying product from quite rural crafters based in northern KZN, sort of um, up north about Durban, and uh, beautiful product. And they really wanted to work with them and support them, but they found that the logistics and the hassle of trying to onboard these really quite uh, unsophisticated and rural um, craft groups and cooperatives just became too much of a headache for them. You know, the product was great. It would have sold well in the shops. There was a good story behind it. 
but the actual logistics and handholding required to get these businesses to a level where they can manage systems and, you know, meet delivery deadlines and work ideally without getting paid deposits up front and so on was a bridge too far and ultimately the, the project was shelved. So, you know, that that is the challenge really, I think, is that retailers have intention to work with local suppliers, but you've got to be at a certain level and, and if you're not at that level, it becomes barriers to entry are very, very steep. Listen, there's so many voice notes coming through here. I hope that we can get through uh, a couple of them. But I did want to um, ask you first, who is the person that we need to approach at the um, big retail chain? Like when you when you want to uh, find the, the boss or the person to direct, who do you go to? Um, look, the retailers usually have quite a different <coughs> hierarchical structures depending on who they are. But usually you'd look at um, what we call a category buyer. So you try to find out who the, who the category buyer is for your type of product. So you'd have a food category buyer and a clothing buyer, et cetera, et cetera. So the starting point would be to try and sort of engage with your relevant category buyer who could then, if they're interested in your product, sort of escalate it. And ultimately, it's procurement that, that sort of has the final say in terms of what products they decide to list. But a good starting point would be finding out, you know, if you're going to just cold call a retailer, for example, or do a bit of research online, try and look for the category buyers who buy your particular type of product. What would you say has been some of the biggest mistakes you've seen others make um, when on on this journey? And it's it maybe happens more often than not. If it fails, it's because of this one particular thing. I think cash flow is a huge one. Um, I think many of us don't understand the sort of depth of your pockets that that are required mm-hmm. to successfully engage with large retail. You know. You're looking at probably your biggest orders ever potentially coming through and you're looking at sort of anything from 30 to 60 day payment terms. Exactly. So that, and sometimes not, I know one, one of the one of the big retail stores pays only three months la- three months later. And Nicole, it's three months from statement. That's a nice little kind of no, uh, almost hidden clause that they put in. And what, is, what that means is that they pay you three months after the end of the month in which you invoice so them. So months. if you invoice them on the 7th of July, oh they God. pay you three months after the end of July. So, no. yeah, that, that is definitely, I think, one of the biggest challenges is the is, is, is the cash flow and managing of cash flow because you, you're not going to get a retailer paying you a deposit. Um, you're very unlikely to get a retailer paying you anything quicker than sort of 14 days. And even if it is 14 days, they usually discount the invoice for the kind of the honor of paying you within yeah. 14 days they'll take like it's so 3% gross. or 5% it's, no. off the value of the order because we're giving yeah. you business and we are we're, we're providing you with the opportunity to have your stock on our shelves we're going to give ourselves a discount so here you go congratulations exactly Sisman. exactly yeah that's gross okay listen i've got a couple of questions here let's see if we can get through these anton 
Okay. Good morning, Anton. Um, so we have a vegan flatbread product that's doing quite well in a specific retail chain. Uh, we su- currently supply to some local stores. Uh, we have a basically a letter of intent to go throughout Gauteng stores. Mm-hmm. The problem we are struggling with is that we can't get financing to upscale and expand our business. Through COVID, uh, we initially uh, pitched and we were about to get funding. And with COVID, everything was shut down. We now struggling and we can't expand to be able to supply our product to a larger market. Uh, do you perhaps have any advice or any institutes that you know that are willing to assist us in upscaling our business? Thank you. Uh, I mean, that sounds like a personal conversation. That sounds like a loan. That's a, that's a loan, right? Um, potentially, she's looking for some kind of a loan or a finance a partner or an investor. Investor, yeah. Yeah, um, there's an, there's actually a website called investmentincentive.coza, which sort of outlines most of the government and parastatal sort of financing vehicles, which I would maybe recommend she has a look at. Um, you know, the, the, the truth is that finance in South Africa is expensive, so it might be a solution in the short term to sort of get you to that next level where you now in the you know, you've scaled you in a number of stores and you can start managing your cash flow cycles through your sales. Mm. Um, as a long-term solution, it's quite expensive. You know, the best case scenario, they're going to take a significant chunk of your profits that you're making from an order. So I'd say for, you know, as a sort of long-term sustainable solution, it's not really what I would recommend, but certainly as a, as a means of, of just getting yourself to the next level, you know, check out investmentincentives.coza, um, do some searching on the different financing options that are available, <clears throat> chat to your bank. But, uh, yeah, for the long term, you don't really want to be financing your investment into retail, I don't think. All right, here's uh, one last one. Hey, Anton. Um, there are few I love that they're both ladies. Two barcoding companies. Which ones do you suggest the better to use or with the better reviews and acceptability at supermarkets in South Africa? I didn't even know you got barcoding companies. That's a good question. Yeah, that is a good question. Um, I think uh, one of the bigger ones is sabarcodes.coza, um, but there's a whole host of them. There's buy barcodes, there's barcode solutions. And essentially what these businesses do is that they will sort of understand the retailer's requirements. So let's say, for example, you get Mm. listed at Pick and Pay. You will go to them and say, look, I've got seven products going into Pick and Pay. These are the details. And they will then print and prepare the barcodes for you, which you then need to either apply to your product or incorporate into your packaging. So it's a whole industry in and of itself. Um, and it's something that anyone who wants to go into the, you know, supplying the large retailers needs to get a grip on. But there, there are a number of guys. But yeah, SA Barcodes is probably the one of the bigger ones, certainly. Anton, I think that's where we're going to have to wrap it up. But a wealth of knowledge in such a short amount of time. If people want to get in touch with you, are you happy to direct them to a, a site, an email address, a, a Instagram, Facebook, something like that? Sure thing. Yeah, they can they can contact me through Fatola. So and my email address is a r e double f e l at fatola dot coza. You know, Fatola we do a lot of work in business development and in supporting entrepreneurs. So if people have anything, any challenges or any ideas or opportunities that they want to share, they're welcome to pop me a mail.
There we go. This has been Get Busy on 5FM Extra Loud Mornings. Anton Russell, Strategic Head of SME Support at Fertola and Director of ARC Consulting, Mentorship Coach, Business Development Consulting, you name it. He's essentially got it all for you. Anton, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Nicole. Cheers. Get busy. Get busy on Extra Loud Mornings. Extra Loud Mornings. 5FM.